Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. We have a special guest speaker this morning. Uh, I've had the privilege of uh, just getting to know him in the last couple months, and a number of our staff have gotten to know him in the last couple months, and I remember uh, driving on, in the road a few, about, oh, maybe two months ago, after a couple of our staff members who had not really spent any time with Kevin met him and talked to him, and they called me immediately after they got done and said, this guy is amazing. He has such a gift, and there's so much of what he has and what God has deposited in him, and it is so consistent with who we are at Quest. Uh, they, just, they just encouraged me to continue to build a relationship, and I've really enjoyed it. Kevin, come on up, uh, and would you welcome him? Kevin has uh, been a pastor for years. Kevin has been a pastor for years in the Columbus area here and is transitioning in a new ministry direction now. He is also a licensed professional counselor and licensed at the highest level to uh, supervise people training to get their licenses in counseling and has a tremendous amount to offer, so we wanted to have him speak to you this morning. So Lord, we just ask that you'd bless Kevin, that you'd bless this time, and that you'd open our hearts uh, to what your Holy Spirit wants to do in each and every one of our lives uh, through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Am I speaking now? Thank you. Yes. All right. I didn't know I was going to go up there like that first, so I got to come back and get my notes. <laughs> well, it is, it's great to be here. In, in some ways, um, I, you know, I've never spoken here before, um, but in some ways it's just great because it, it does, in many ways, feel like, like coming home. Um, you know, Dusty and I used to work together, so to, to be here and, and listen to the praise music and and then to uh, follow uh, that with, with being able to come up and preach is, is very, very familiar. Even though it's a different venue, it's a, it's a great place to be. And I was uh, talking with, with, with Ross, you know, a couple weeks ago when he first uh, mentioned to me about coming here and, and, and speaking and, and um, said, you know, it's kind of an open topic uh, kind of a day. And so I thought, he, you know, asked what, what it is I'd like to speak about. And, and the first thing that popped into my mind, which I didn't say out loud, is fly fishing, because I love fly fishing, but I didn't feel like that would be uh, the, the place to, to go this morning. Um, although it's always relevant as a spiritual discipline. If you read my bio, you'll see that. Um, but the thing that I, I, I love to talk about um, the most when it comes to faith, uh, when I read scripture, is, is the idea of story. And you've probably all heard this before. Um, the idea of the narrative uh, in which we live, that, that God has this grand narrative that, that he reveals to us through Scripture, that he reveals to us uh, through the Holy Spirit. And so today, that's, that's what I wanted to, to talk about uh, here as well, is the whole idea of living uh, in story or living the story or however you want to uh, phrase it. But it's the whole idea of what it means to connect with the, the, the narrative uh, of God and, and, and how we often will write our own stories that, that either do or don't uh, sometimes coincide uh, with his story. And to do that, we're going to begin today by, by looking at uh, kind of a long passage, actually, from the Gospel of Luke. Um, this is a, a fairly familiar story. It's a post-resurrection story of two guys, Cleopas uh, and another guy whose name we're not given, uh, on the road to Emmaus. So this is the, the road to Emmaus story in Luke chapter 24, and, and I'll read it beginning with uh, verse 13. And it says there, 
Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a, a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman, as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you, as always, for the opportunity just to be here, to be uh, in a place where we can worship you and and, uh, turn our attention to you and and to have this time to to truly focus on you. Uh, Father, we recognize that that we're here uh, because of you and to give you glory and to give you honor. And Lord, even as we enter into this uh, time, uh, this study, this this teaching, this message, this passage of Scripture, Lord, I I pray that uh, what is written upon uh, the pages uh, of your word, Lord, might become truly the living word uh, that is written upon uh, our hearts and, and that uh, our lives might be transformed by you uh, in these moments, Lord. And, and Father, I, I pray also that the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of each and every heart uh, that is here this morning uh, would be acceptable in, in your sight. Uh, Lord, you are our rock and you are our redeemer. Amen. So in many ways, it's a familiar thing we're going to talk about today. It's the, it's the gospel, which I know sounds very basic uh, and, and sounds very general uh, when you say it a, a, as a topic to, to preach upon. In many ways, you know, uh, all messages really uh, should be and, and do direct uh, towards that topic. But it's also a thing, uh, the gospel, that you can never hear enough about because it's, it should be and is, in reality, uh, the most important thing to our lives. The gospel, in my opinion, uh, and I would venture to say many opinions, is the most revolutionary, most powerful force, uh, the deepest and most meaningful thing that anyone can ever experience uh, in their lives. 
But today, when we, when, we, when we look at the gospel, when we look at this passage, we're, we're, we're trying, you know, at least I'm trying not to go there. This isn't really about head knowledge. This isn't about learning uh, something new so much as it is, uh, you know, in terms of how do we achieve salvation. But we're going there uh, from the standpoint of what it means to actually live the gospel, to experience it and to have it infuse us and then to transform us and to move us in a direction where our lives are guided by the gospel, having it infuse the whole of our being. So today... Uh, when we look at this, the, the gospel message, we, um, what we want is to understand what Christ did on the cross and how that can consume the whole uh, of our lives. Now, in looking at the passage of Scripture that, that I just read for you, found in this Gospel of Luke, you know, which again immediately follows the, the resurrection story, uh, you know, Christ has died, he has risen from the dead, and these guys are uh, on the road now. We find these two guys... Um, taking that, that hike, that seven-mile journey from, from uh, where they are to, to Jerusalem. And one of them, you know, is Cleopas. The other one, you know, again, we're not given his name. But in these two men, I think what we see is, is a snapshot uh, of, of our own lives, what they're experiencing, what they're going through, what they're doing, uh, and, and how their lives are, are churning at the current, current moment uh, speaks something of how we live our lives often. And we ought to be able to see ourselves uh, in these two fellows. And so these two men uh, are going to are, are in what I will call, and, and this will be one of two points that I'll make today. I'm only going to make two. Uh, are living in what we'll call a, a small story. And the question that needs uh, answered here is, how do we know if we are truly not experiencing the the, the life that, that that God intends for us through Jesus Christ? How do we know if we are truly not experiencing the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ in our lives? Now, if I were to send any one of you an, an email today, um, you would see a quote that I always use as a tagline that automatically is generated at the end of that email um, that, that, that I like to have uh, out there, that I like to, to kind of remind myself of. Or if you, you checked out my favorite quotes on Facebook page, um, you, you'd find the same quote listed there. And it's a quote by a man by the name of Albert Schweitzer. And, and this is what he, he, he said. He said, the tragedy of man is what dies inside himself while he still lives. Right? The tragedy of man is what dies inside himself while he still lives. And, I, and again, I have that there as a reminder uh, in my email and, and, and on my Facebook page, as a reminder to myself and maybe to others, that there is something within us, something uh, vital within all of us and, and within all of our lives, some innate drive that often in our lives gets lost or, or, or dies within us in our lives if we're not careful, while we're still living, that we will let things go. The tragedy of man or the tragedy of, of, of woman is what dies inside himself while he still lives. A few, you know, my wife and I live here in Westerville, and when we first moved into the house that we currently live in about uh, nine years ago, just shortly after that, there was a, uh, you know, we were getting to know our neighbors, and there was a, uh, a young boy um, who lived in one of the houses down the street from us. And um, one day uh, in our cul-de-sac, I, I saw him out there, and his father and mother were out there, and they were doing what most most uh, parents do eventually in their lives, which is they were trying to teach him to ride a bike. Okay, and so um, mom was out there with video camera, and dad was out there, you know, doing the awkward run behind the bike, you know, trying to hold on to the seat, um, you know, to keep him upright as he goes. And, and you know, the kid was a, a quick learner, actually. Um, and, you know, dad couldn't even keep up with him. He started, and so he finally, he let go of him, and, and the little boy started to bike, you know, uh, down the street and, and around. 
but it soon became clear that they had f neglected one particularly important piece of information about riding a bike, um, and that is how to stop, right? Didn't teach him necessarily how to, how to hit the brakes. I don't think they expected him to take off so quickly, and so the kid didn't uh, get turned as, as quickly as he should. He, he hit a curb and uh, flipped over and, and landed in the, in the lawn of, of one of the neighbors, um, and, and overall, uh, you know, he wasn't hurt at all, uh, really, but in the end, it, it was also uh, an adventure for the six-year-old in pain and, and confusion and tragedy, right? You know, and, and after that experience, uh, they could not get him back on that bike. Not that day, not for many days, not for many weeks uh, since then. I, eventually, he did learn to ride a bike, but, but his, his parents tried everything to get him to try that ride, ride that bike again, but he, he wouldn't, right? And the reason he wouldn't is because he had an experience there, right? He'd been there before, right? He knew the lay of the land. He, he knew what type of, uh, of tragedy in the, in the grand scheme of a, a six-year-old's mind. He knew what kind of uh, tragedy could strike if he dared to, to, you know, jump on that iron pony of his again. And so he was going to have nothing of it, right? He didn't want to take any more risks. It, it wasn't worth it to him. Why would you ever get on a death machine like that is what he would be thinking, Right? Now, that's a child's viewpoint, but on, on, on a much larger scale and a much more serious scale, we, ha we have all been witness to the experiences uh, of loss in our lives, from everything like, like things like 9-11, or we've seen the devastation of, of, of the tornadoes and, and things that happened in, in Oklahoma, for example, or in the, in the fires that, that have burned in, in Colorado. I actually had a close personal friend lose his house in, in Colorado. And then even on a, on, on a personal note, we've all likely known the loss of, of someone close to us. Not necessarily, you know, have we he lost someone necessarily even by death, but by a broken relationship or we've experienced the rejection uh, of friends. Or maybe it is the loss of, of, of somebody close to us to death. And these type of experiences in our lives do something to us. Whenever we've been hurt, whenever we've been wounded, whenever we've been confused, whenever we've been lost, whenever we've experienced pain, physical or emotional, these things do something to us disappointment and confusion and pain and loss and a whole host of other experiences can lead us away from the, what we truly hoped for in our lives. Even, even cause us to question whether hope is something that we should uh, allow ourselves to experience. Should we even allow ourselves to, to be hopeful about anything? You know, hurt and pain and tragedy, they, they, they change things for us. It, it changes our plans. It alters our dreams. It creates, an, and we all do this. We all do this. Whether we try to do it or not, we subtly uh, and even subconsciously do this in our lives. What we'll do in our lives is all of us have a vision of, of how our lives are going to play out. We all look into the future. We all sense that, that our actions lead to something. We want predictability. When we get married, we, we, we get married with the intention of, of living out our lives with our spouse. Right? When we have children, you know, when we engage in relationships, and then when we get hurt, rejected or, or, or pain or whatever, it, it changes our future. It's a, it's a loss of dream. It's like the death of dreams. It's the death of our future. It's the death of our hopes. It's the death of the things that we thought were going to be, that were going to happen. And we, and we all do that. And in our passage today, we're, we're given the opportunity to peer into the window of the lives of, of two of Christ's followers, Cleopas and his friend. And this is just a, a, a couple days post-crucifixion. And we get to see their same experience. That's exactly what they're going through. Here are the words that we find. Uh, in verse 17, it says that they stood still with their, their faces downcast. 
right? And then in verse 21, it says, but, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And you see those key words in there, like uh, downcast, right? And, and they had hoped, you know, they had these hopes. Their hopes were dashed. And, and, and they show all signs, as far as we can tell, of being guys who are lost, they're confused, and they, they're uncertain of where to turn. The way they thought things were going to play out, the way they thought things were going to happen, has changed. And so they're depressed, and they're shaken, and their dreams and plans and hopes for the future uh, are, are shattered. And that's ultimately what loss does to us, right? Not just because Jesus was now dead, as they described it, but because uh, all the hopes and, and the dreams that they had for the redemption of Israel were now gone. The whole sense of how their life was going to work changes now. And loss and disappointment drive us there. And, and I think if you think hard enough, you, you can figure that out. You can find that there are experiences in your life that have done it. Does it lead us to believe that often it isn't worthwhile to believe in anything big, to believe in anything good? Because, you know, what's the saying? If it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. But there's something wrong with the way we view things because we view them from the small story. And we see here that Jesus responds to these two guys by saying how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the, the prophets have spoken. Now, in some ways, that sounds insensitive on Jesus' part, but what he's saying, in essence here, to these guys is... You know, because of the way you view things, because of the story that you think uh, is the ultimate story, the smaller story that you're living in, uh, because of the way you've, you view things and the loss of hope you feel, that you just don't seem to be able to trust that something good is actually happening here. They only see it as tragedy and loss, something bigger and better than, than you can imagine. And, and, you know, and Jesus also, uh, you know, kind of says not to mention that, oh, yeah, this is right according to God's plan which we'll get to in a second, right? So we lose hope. We lose vitality in our lives sometimes. And this is what Albert Schweitzer is talking about, what he calls tragic. It's what he means when he refers to what dies inside of us while we still live. Because what will happen to us is we will often, without even realizing it in our lives, we will kill our hearts and believe that we are doing a good thing when we do that because we think feeling disappointed or feeling fearful or feeling confused or feeling lost or whatever is worse. We think that that's the bigger story. We think that that's the end of the story. Better not to try than to try and fail. And, and, and I want to make a note here. I, this is in no way to minimize some of the things we go through. There are very tragic and very painful things and very powerful things that can happen to all of us. You know, loss of a child, you know, a breakup of a relationship, any of these things uh, are, are very powerful. And I'm not trying to say that they're, they're nothing. Uh, by any means. They, they are big and they are powerful. But they are not the biggest story. And, and this is what Jesus means when he's saying that these two men and that we are, are slow of heart, that we simply won't let ourselves believe because the loss uh, and the disappointment we felt in our lives has caused serious doubts within us to believe that anything bigger and better can happen. And change does that to us because change isn't easy, especially when it's forced upon us. And, and when we're slow of heart, we find that it keeps us from this meaningful experience that, that Christ wants for us in our lives. And as big as these stories are, as big as they feel to us in our lives, and they are, again, they're powerful at times, they're still the smaller story. Even in the same way that, that Cleopas and his friend were living a, a small story. And we can connect to that because they, they, they thought 
he was going to redeem Israel. They thought he was going to be this massive king, and they were going to live uh, the high life now because they were a, a follower of his. So Jesus continue, continues with them, and it leads us to our next point. Because if loss and disappointment drive us away from this experience, you know, what ultimately is it that's going to bring us back to it? What will clear a path for us to experience Christ uh, for who he truly is, to experience life as we're supposed to uh, experience? And, and in that, what we have to do is we have to look at, at, at the big story. And it is the story. Um, I don't even want to call it just a big story because it is the story. It is the big story, Right? What does it look like to live in the big story? What does it mean to connect with the, with the grand narrative? Uh, you know, and, and, and just so you know what I'm talking about, when, when we talk about grand narrative, you know, God is, is writing a story, right? Uh, there was creation. Uh, then there was the fall. Uh, and then there's redemption. And eventually there's going to be a new creation. And those are the major four acts that we're talking about. And that is all outlined. That is all revealed to us uh, through Scripture. And that, that's something that we are a part of, that we are written in. It isn't just a story. It's the big story. It's it's It's... Uh, live and living and organic and, and you're in it so what does it mean to connect with this grand narrative the biggest story that ever could be written um, in 1999 there, there was a uh, if you know me long enough you're going to know that one of my favorite things is movies i love to go to the movies i love to watch movies um, it's been a little disappointing since i've become a pastor because now i can't even watch a movie without thinking hey that'd be a great sermon illustration that'd be a great sermon illustration i have to remember that so i'm kind of out of the story some of the time but in 1999, a great movie came out starring Denzel Washington entitled The Hurricane. I don't know if any of you have uh, seen that movie about uh, a boxer. And it's the story of this up-and-coming boxer. His name's Reuben The Hurricane uh, Carter. And, and his career as a, as a boxer is just beginning to uh, blossom and, and, and grow. He's, he's, he's gaining notoriety, so to speak, and he's uh, becoming more famous, and, and uh, he's the contender, so to speak. Uh, but then his career was, was cut short uh, very quickly, uh, when he was falsely accused and then imprisoned for uh, a triple murder that, that he didn't commit. Um, and there were these three young men uh, who uh, caught wind of this and, and knew of the story and, and knew that he wasn't uh, guilty of the crimes that he had been imprisoned for. And what you're going to see is, is I'm, they're going to play a movie clip here for you, uh, what you're going to see here in this scene is you're going to see one of these three men, his name is, is Lezra, uh, talking to Reuben through prison bars. And in it, you're going to see how a bigger story begins to take over Reuben's life, something bigger than the, the prison and the bars and the, and the injustice that's been done to him. He says, hey, you know, put me in prison, but love's going to bust me out of here. Um, and I love how Lezra responds. He goes, just in case love doesn't bust you out of here. He goes, I will. Um, and then the hurricane says, you already have, brother. You already have, right? And as I pondered that scene from that movie, and, I, and as I imagined someone in, in that kind of circumstance, you know, falsely accused, wrongfully imprisoned, saying those words, I, I thought, you know, that maybe, just maybe, the relationship I'm supposed to have with, with Jesus Christ, you know, who, who I claim lives in, in me and guides my life, ought to feel something like that. Maybe his presence in my life ought to feel like a freedom that transcends and, and surpasses whatever the experiences are in this world, whatever it is that, that, that has imprisoned me emotionally, spiritually, you know, physically in, in his case as well. But, but that's difficult to do. It's difficult because it, it isn't always so easy to find him in the midst of our lives and circumstances, especially when the circumstances are, are, are 
particularly difficult ones. And so we struggle to see Christ like that. We struggle to see him as, as close and, and connected and, and, and very present within, within our beings and, and within our lives. And often we don't see him. But in this passage, we see the same thing, right? We, we see that Cleopas and his friend, they, they couldn't see him either. They really didn't know who they were talking to or who they were walking with on, on this road to Emmaus. And it says, but they, you know, it even says in verse 16 that they were kept from, from recognizing him. And so it isn't that Christ wasn't there. It isn't that he, he was clueless to what was going on with these men. It was that they couldn't recognize him. They couldn't see him, even when he was right in their very midst. And again, isn't that what loss and pain does to us? Doesn't it cloud our vision? Doesn't it uh, uh, make it difficult to, to see our way forward? Doesn't it, uh, you know, elicit the, the net, uh, you know, results of, of a fog, you know, that is thick and hard to see in? You know, it consumes us so much that at times that we're, we're uh, unable to connect with, with, with the thing that is so vital and important that's right there in our midst. It causes us to, to question God's plan for us in our lives. But, in this passage, you know, Christ didn't leave them like that. He didn't leave them there. He didn't leave them in that condition. As we read further, we find that, that Jesus still unknown to these men, begins to share a story with them. You know, first he, he calls them foolish and slow of heart, but then he begins with a question and he says, uh, in verses 26 and 27, he says, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And this is where it gets important. He says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And, and that's interesting because... They didn't know that he was right there, yet Jesus began retelling a story that these men had undoubtedly heard before in their lives. These guys were uh, followers of Christ for quite some time. They knew who he was. The reason they're so disappointed is because they had expectations uh, of who he was. But he's taking them back to the story, explaining to them exactly what has been told and prophesied all along. And he's basically saying to them, look, if you're going to follow me this far in the story... If you're going to listen to what I say, if you're going to, you know, be, claim to be a follower of mine, if you're willing, uh, if you were willing to trust where Scripture was leading all along, why not stick with it now? Why not stay with it? Why not look at, at the fact that what God has been doing all along is still running exactly according to plan? That from the very beginning, from the, the time of Moses through the prophets, is where Jesus takes them, and, and even until now, that God's plan is right on track, right? that things are happening as they should be, that everything is in good order. What about us, right? Are, 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 are we slow of heart? Do we, do we see the grand narrative? Do we see the big story? Do we see the big picture that God has put out there for us? Do we get that whatever has caused us to lose sight of, of what God uh, is up to, you know, whether it's sadness or pain or fear or confusion, it can be arrogance, it can be pride, it can be apathy, that none of those things are the bigger story, that that's not the end of the story? Do we get that what God did for us in, in the person of Jesus Christ isn't just a thing that he did to fulfill prophecy, but that it was done for, for, for each of us, you know, for every one of us very personally? And it's not just so that we might have eternal life, but also that we might have hope, also that we might have freedom, that we might realize that pain and loss and suffering and fear that none of these, as big and powerful as they can be, has the final word. 
Well, Cleopas and his friend, these two fellows on this road, didn't get it, right? They thought the story was done, or, or at least they weren't connected yet with what Christ was saying. But later, Jesus sat down at a table with them to eat, we're told, and he broke bread and at the table, and, and when he did, then we're told in verses 31, 32, it says, then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight, and they asked each other this very important question. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Something was happening with them all along, right? Something was churning within them. They just didn't recognize it until later, right? They weren't in that moment at the time. It's an, but, but now they are. They, they, right now, this is a big aha moment for them, a moment for these guys. They, they came to realize that although they didn't recognize him uh, walking beside them, they didn't know who he was, they didn't see who he was, they realized that they felt their hearts burning within them. Something was happening. They were on fire. And this is, and this is important and vital because that's what a, a relationship with Christ should ultimately do for, for any one of us, for all of us. It shouldn't just be a, a thoughtful inner intellectual exercise to increase our, our knowledge base about this historical figure of, of who Jesus Christ is, right? The story of God, the written word that, that we read, the, the, the Bible, has always been a story that leads to this place, that leads to uh, this person, to the, to the gospel, to the person of Jesus Christ and to the redemptive work that, that he has done in our lives. There is nothing more important to connect with. And it's not just so we can have eternal life after we die, but so that we can truly live in the here and now. Even Christ said that, right? I have come to bring you life and life to the fullest. So that we can feel that experience of being truly alive in our lives. So that we can allow our hearts to be free to, to also burn within us. And that this burning might serve as, as the reminder that God is present. That he's not just present you know, in great tragedy and, and, or whatever, a reminder that God is present in the movements and the rhythms of our day-to-day lives, that he is very present and ever with us, just as Cleopas and his friend discovered. Now, earlier I shared with you that, that quote from Albert Schweitzer about the tragedy of man is what, what dies in him while he still lives. And I love quotes. And so I'm going to share another favorite quote with you. And this one is from a man by the name of St. Arrhenius who, who once said that the glory uh, of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. Do you understand what he's saying there? That the the person of Christ came uh, not uh, just to be a great teacher. And and I I have to tell you that this is what separates, you know, the Christian faith from, from any other faith tradition that there is. You know, any other faith tradition says that we have to act in a certain way and behave in a certain way follow the rules in a certain way, and we receive the blessings of that, that God. Christianity says there's nothing you can do, that it is by his grace and by his love and by his mercy that he has come. And he sent Christ so that we could become fully alive, so that the glory of God may be manifested, so that it may be realized, so that it may be uh, seen and evident, and, and, and that it might reach out to other people as well. These men were awakened uh, on the road to Emmaus to something that restored all of their hopes because they connected to finally to the bigger story that, that, that God was telling all along. A story more powerful and greater than, than we can fully realize at this point in our own journeys even, but that we can believe in with all certainty because of who Jesus Christ is. And we can believe that, that, that Christ did come, that he does move among us, that he is in our lives, that he is very, very close to us. 
I'll give you one more quote, um, you know, kind of in closing here. Um, it's a quote from a great uh, African-American author and spiritual uh, and theologian uh, whose writings have, have impacted my life and my walk with God. And, and you know, just as a, a quick, uh, I don't know, infomercial, I, I recommend you read anything this guy writes. It's not an easy read, but it's, it's a great read. And it, his name is Howard Thurman, and, uh, and he writes this. He wrote this quote. He says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Cleopas and his friend on this road to Emmaus were living in their small story, right? And Christ came to them. Uh, they encountered him. And their hearts began to burn within them, right? They, they, they came on fire and they recognized eventually, but they finally came alive. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. God has written a story that is so much bigger than all of us. And it, and it does not end. It does not end, not today, not here, not now, not ever. And so we ask that same question of ourselves. And I'll ask it of you, right? What makes you come alive? What causes your heart to burn within you? What, has, has, what, what smaller story are you living in that has drawn you away from the story that God has orchestrated for you? Because there's a story in there. There's a huge, magnificent story that God is writing, and we are invited into it. What makes you come alive? The world needs you to do that. The world needs you to connect with this bigger story. The song I believe we're about to sing now is, is Hosanna. And I know in that song, I'm familiar with the lyrics of that, it says that, you know, I see the King of Glory coming. That's what we need to do as we sing the song, is that needs to be our prayer, that needs to be our manifesto, that needs to be our invitation for Christ to come in glory in our lives and to, to reveal to us. And, and I encourage you to invite him to reveal to you what is it that has taken you out of the big story and to come back in, to invite him to be close again and to allow your hearts to burn within you. Amen. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at go to quest.org.